Colossians uh, chapter 2, please. Colossians 2, and hold your place there, and also to Acts chapter 20. Colossians 2 and Acts 20. Remember, Paul's never been to Colossae. It wasn't started by him. Someone he probably led the Lord in, in Ephesus or other places has gone back. And Now they've made about a 1,200 mile trek to see Paul in prison because they've got problems. Welcome, welcome to the party. Okay. Um, God's working in Colossae. Things are happening. People are being saved. And when that happens, there's a couple things that can happen. One, you catch the attention of Christians. I mean, that's where we are for Zimbabwe, isn't it? I mean, we're, we're thrilled. I mean, I wish the Lord was doing that here, but it does, it does cause us to put a little clip in our step. I mean, we know a place where revival's happening. You know, it's not just a... It's not just an idea for us. I mean, and, and, and Bob can report to it, and, and Stephen can, of seeing the Lord work. And as the guys went out in evangelism, seeing people that are interested, genuinely interested in the gospel, at least appearance instead of what we deal with here, away with you. I've heard all the story I want to hear. So God's working. But when God works, not only do Christians should sit up and take notice but the second thing that happens is Satan sits up and takes notice. Mm-hmm. And Satan is the master forger, isn't he? Amen. He's the master deceiver. He's the master destroyer. And he will quickly send in false teachers. In Acts chapter 20, I ask you to turn there and hold your place there. This is the text in Acts 20, beginning in verse 17, is is Paul's sort of departing speech to the elders there at Ephesus. And I don't want to call your attention to the whole thing, but I do want to call your attention to verse 28. And let me go back to verse 26. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. How do you say that, Paul? For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I didn't leave anything out. I told you about the holiness of God. I told you about the justice and and the wrath of God. But I told you about the salvation in Christ. I preached it all. I've shown you Christ in the Old Testament. Notice what he says in verse 28. Pay attention. Talking to the elders. Pay attention to yourselves. Why to ourselves? Because the church is filled with pastors today who know better. I have a dear, dear friend of mine went to school with me. The Lord was doing a great, is doing, I'll say, well, let me say, was doing a great work in Philadelphia. Baltimore, I'm sorry, Baltimore. The Presbyterian church there was a, was a uh, Korean-speaking church. And they knew that their kids being raised here would not want to stay in a Korean-speaking church. So they started on the premises the English-speaking second-generation church. And they asked my friend to come lead that. And the idea was they would give them, they were in Ellicott City, if you know anything about Baltimore. Ellicott City is to the west of Baltimore, a suburb. And they have like 20 acres right on the interstate. Beautiful property, auditorium seats, probably 500 people. Wonderful, but they know that the, the Korean side of that will start to die off. These are, these are people who came here, a lot of them started, started uh, 
uh, dry cleaning businesses and slept on the floor to make their work. They worked hard to earn what they have. But the Lord saved them. And the second generation young people, their kids grown up here, they're Americans. And so the idea was that Dave would go and take that church and take the second generation church and more than a youth leader, he would really reach out. And of course, Dave didn't take him long to reach to the doctors at Johns Hopkins. And it wasn't long until the second generation church was larger than the first generation church. It wasn't long until their offerings, they told them they could keep their offerings. You could do whatever you wanted to with your offerings. They found out their offerings actually were more than the main church. And jealousy set in. My friend Dave, one doctor said, hey, if, you, if that's your passion, Dave was Korean-American. You want to reach Korean, second-generation Koreans or, or, or Asian, you need to go to Los Angeles, California. And so he did. There's now four or five locations of the church. Dave was just personality plus. He's rejected all that now. He runs a quasi-make-you-feel-good-about-yourself church. And I'm talking thousands. They have a church in Bangkok, Thailand. They have another one in Mexico City. They have another one in London. And four or five locations in the Los Angeles area. It breaks my heart. Be careful to pay attention to yourselves. You know, people start telling you you're good. How quickly does that go to your head, right? Okay. Hey, preachers aren't exempt to that. We appreciate the we appreciate the encouragement, but the Lord can keep us humble, can't we? Yeah, He keeps us. But we pay attention. You make sure you're paying attention. And this is not only I would say to the pastors, but I'd say to you too. Because how many churches are filled with people who were in Bible-believing churches but got swept away because the music was better or the drama was better but the gospel was no longer proclaimed. Pay attention. And to all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer. Again, this is written to the elders. To care for the church of God which he's obtained with his own blood. This is, this is his church. It's not mine. It's not Bob's. It's not Jonathan. It's not yours. The church belongs to who? Christ. Christ. This is his church. You are his flock. We're just under shepherds. Verse 29, I know after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And here's the hard one, verse 30, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. This is what's happening in Colossae. And Paul's warning them, don't add to the gospel. It's not Christ plus something. In chapter 2, verses 6 through 15, he's established for us that in Christ, our salvation is complete. Our forgiveness is complete. Our victory in Christ is complete. You don't need to add anything to that. Amen. But let's begin our reading of verse 16 to remind us what Paul's writings. Verse 16, Therefore, 
Let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. You know, when, the, when the real thing shows up, you don't look at the shadow anymore. Well, the real thing has come. Christ has come. Christ has died on the cross for our sins. Our, our salvation in Him is complete. We no longer play around in the shadows anymore. And he says in verse 18, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism or the worship of angels or going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by their sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knitted together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you die to the elementary spirits of the world, why? You need to underline that, circle it. Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do, do, not, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that will perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These indeed, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and a severity to the body, but they are of no value stopping the indulgences of the flesh. Father, we thank you for your word. May you teach us and add it to our lives that we may be less like us and more like you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we've been looking at two things that we've established. One, we've looked at legalism. Legalism uh, is, is, is doing or not doing law. We, we, in other words, we earn merit now for salvation. We earn God's pleasure or blessings, or we forfeit God's pleasure or blessings based upon things that we do or don't do. That's what legalism is. In verse 18... Paul turns to mysticism, which is as horribly detrimental to the church as legalism is, often has more attractors than legalism does. There is a branch of people that like to be told this, this, and this. This is what you need to do, and they love to have the orders. They'd rather, they'd rather than think for themselves, than search the scriptures, just give me the ten things I'm supposed to be doing or not doing, and I'll obey. I'll walk that line. If you ask them why, they've got no answer. They just know this is what they're, that's legalism. But mysticism has another draw to it, doesn't it? And the, the Lord spoke to me. Really? What did he say? Then they go on to tell you. Or the Lord did this. or the, And it creates, it creates a, almost an inferior complex for us, doesn't it? I mean, somebody's coming in, man, the Lord spoke to me today, so and so and so and so. And I'm thinking, man, I've walked with the Lord 30 years. He said nothing to me. I mean, why has he not called me? Why has he not done this for me? And then we try to, listen, then we try to manufacture it. Because we want to be like those who've heard the voice of the Lord. And so we, we, we sit down. We've had one to tell me. I, I did that. I sat, in a, sat on our, our floor in our bedroom and I waited for God to speak and He said nothing. But we want Him to say something. And press long enough, we'll write something. And pressed about it, is it equal to Scripture? No, no, of course not. It's not equal to Scripture. Well, if God said it, wouldn't it be equal to Scripture? 
You've got to be careful. This mysticism is causing division in the church, but also a feeling of inferiority within the body of Christ. So we looked a couple weeks ago at this issue of mysticism. We noticed three things, three things I think about it. Number one, it's motivated by pride. At its core, I want to be admired. I, I want to be like the other people. I want to, I want to know things. And so, so I'm able, I know things you don't know. God shared things with me. He hasn't shared with you. And how's that make you feel? Yeah, it makes you feel inferior, but makes me feel that Bible does say knowledge does what? Yeah, puffs up, doesn't it? We, we've even seen this no longer than we've been in Zimbabwe. We've already seen pockets of that. It pops up every once in a while. And listen, don't, don't be too condemning because you can do it too. Amen. We're heading to the Christmas season, Thanksgiving season. Some of you be careful. You'll get with your family who don't believe in the doctrines of grace or they don't believe in the sovereignty of God like you want to. And if you're not careful, you'll come across with pride. And the understanding, I've always said, the understanding of the doctrines of grace should never lead you to stand on your feet. It should lead you to be on your face before the Lord, realizing it's all of His grace. But we can do that, can't we? Yes. We can, we can show that pride. So it's motivated by pride. Number two, it, it, it depends on extra-biblical authority. Well, God said it, or I saw Jesus, or I heard Jesus. Well, how do you know? Well, I, I, I see signs. I have peace about something. Well, I had peace about eating a donut last night about 10 o'clock, and my wife evidently did not have the same peace about that. <laughs> Guess what I didn't do at 10 o'clock? Yeah, I didn't eat no donut. Okay. And if I was said to her, the Lord told me to eat the donut, she would look at me and say, You're a liar. <laughs> told you about Kerry Hardy who people say things well the Lord told me this verse means so and so and he'll go hey, hey. no he just told me you were wrong <laughs> who's right right who's right? right finding God's will by interpromptings God told me that it was okay to I had, again I, I shared this one with you I, I, we were told this one I was told it was okay to leave my wife because I love this other woman no you were not that is a lie. It's experience over biblical authority. It's in this mysticism, there's, there's no way to validate this truth. You can make up anything you want to make it. Mm-hmm. These are great pretenders. They feed off fooling people. Listen, it, it, it's not just the fringe. It's not just the charismatics that we see that in. It can happen even inside, even inside sovereign grace circles. Mm-hmm. The big movement about deeper life it went too far. It promotes laziness at the root of it. So you'd rather, rather than digging in Scripture and finding out what the Bible says, we'd rather somebody tell me. 
It's, it's, well, maybe I can get this by osmosis and I'll stick the Bible underneath my pillow and it will suck in my ear. No, it's not the way it works. It's learning spiritual secrets. It's psychic hotlines. Number three, I said, not only motivated by pride and depends on extra-biblical authority, it reveals an indifference to Christ. Look at our text, um, verse 19, and not holding fast to the head. That's what happens. When that mysticism happens, when we're worshiping of asceticism or the worship of angels in verse 18, or going on details about visions puffed up without reason by sensuous mind, what we're not doing, we're not holding to Christ. We've forsaken Christ. We're not holding fast to Him. We don't have a firm grip on Him. We end up being driven about by every wind and wave of doctrine that comes down the road. Or, as Paul warned Timothy, there's coming a day when people will not endure sound doctrine. Will heap to themselves people that are ear ticklers, is what it means. They're telling you what you want to hear. How good you are and how special you are. How great you are. And a loving God would never send you to hell. Yes, He will. It's a mixture sometimes. A little bit of Christ plus legalism. Or a little bit of Christ plus mysticism. But it's not a firm grasp on Christ I read a quote, John Phillips I think this is from, it's amazing how easily people can be persuaded to give up the seamless robe of divine revelation for some ideological garment woven in of inferior fabric on the looms of human imagination and speculation. You need to see that quote. The cults have five favorite colors of thread for which they weave their wares. They are intellectualism, ritualism, legalism, mysticism, and asceticism. That's their weave. This would include the Book of Mormon, spiritualizing which it claims to be able to communicate with dead and occultism, demonic powers, and the so-called charismatic movement with its tongues, the prophetic dubious origins. He writes, finally, that the believers at Colossae were in danger of being led astray by other people's dreams and visions and by their claims to have their own aesthetic experiences and extra-biblical revelations. Well, all that was to bring us up to now. Let's look at verses 20 through 23. We'll finish this part of the text because Paul writes here, verse 20, If with Christ... You died to the elementary spirits of the world. Why are you still alive in the world? Do you submit to the regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things which all perish as they are used, according to whom human precepts and teaching, these have an, indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting a self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they have no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. Asceticism. Those who live in rigorous self-denial. 
attempting to gain righteousness through self-denial, deliberately refusing to have material comforts in order to develop a spiritual sensitivity. This would include fasting, and this doesn't mean all of these used properly, the Lord says that we can fast and pray, but they're using fasting in a completely different way. Celibacy, a monastery life, put it that way. Advocating poverty as a means to spirituality. If you're wealthy, you can't be spiritual, they would say. My senior year, um, I went to Alamance Christian School and we were traveling up north, Corral was. And we stopped at a rest stop just over in Virginia Line. And you'll never guess who I met. I met Moses. I'm serious. That's what he said. And I don't know what Moses looks like, but he had to be pretty close. He had the beard and, and the gown and the dress or the, the, the cloak, whatever it's called. And that's how he introduced himself. He was in the bathroom there at, at the rest stop and said, I'm Moses. Really? You look good for a 4,000-year-old person or however how old you are. They believe that. They believe that they are reincarnated or God's come to fill them. Paul begins this by saying, if. Verse 20. Now, this is, this is going to sound like it's splitting hairs, but I've got a reason for sharing it. If. If with Christ you died to the elementary spirits of the world. Some of your translations may say since. Anybody has, has that? Since you died with Christ? Okay. Well, the word is translated that way several times. If you died. The question is, is Paul making a statement or is he asking a question? Let me back out of this a minute. I got a ticket one time. And my dad, I could say it both ways, my dad said it. If you knew the speed limit was 55, why were you doing 70? It's a question. And I could have said, I didn't know that. I didn't know it. If you knew it, well, Dad, I didn't know it. The sign was hidden or whatever, or I was paying too much attention to that melody than I was paying to the road or something. But if, no. Another way he would say this, since you knew... It was 55, why were you doing 70? That's not a question. That's a statement. Which one is Paul doing here? Since with Christ you died to the elementary appearance of the world? Yes, that's true. But he follows it with a why. This is a question. Because he wants the people at Colossae to think. If you have died with Christ, you died to the elementary Christians of spirits of the world, why, as if you're still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? If, if you have died, that's the question, have you? Have you died? He wants the people to think. Paul is, after three things in the text, he's, he's inviting them and us to consider whether indeed we have died with Christ and Ponder the implications of that. What does it mean if I have died with Christ? 
Well, it produces three things in the text. Number one, it produces, it shows their ignorance, first of all. Positionally, the believers have died with Christ, if indeed you have died with Christ. Well, if you're a believer, you have. You've died with Christ. At conversion, the sinner is baptized in the Holy Spirit into Christ. Alan read for us Romans 6, verses 1 through 6. And we could also turn, you know, jot it down in your notes, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. Paul here again, For in one spirit we were all baptized in the one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free. We were made to drink of one spirit, for the body does consist of members but of many. He's making a statement. You have died. We've all been baptized into one body. Well, what happens? That results in a positional and the judicial identification with Christ in the actual death on the cross. Romans 6, verses 11 and 12. But also turn back just one page, or Colossians chapter 2. Look at verses 9 and following, 9 and 10. Remember, Paul is telling us about the sufficiency we have in Christ. And he says here in verse 9, For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. That's us, positionally, functionally. That's us. The result of our positional and judicial identification. The fundamental truth must be to know and appropriately understand the life of a victorious life over sin. Romans again, verses, chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. But not, not only a positionally the believer has, but secondly, we've been separated from the rudimentary uh, works of the world, these elementary spirits. This death brings separation and freedom from this prior obligation. Turn back to Romans chapter 7 with me just a minute. I was going to have Alan read this if he hadn't read that one last, or he had read it last week. But Romans chapter 7. Look at Romans 7 with me. For sake of time, this is verses 1 through 6. I'm going to jump down to verse 5. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at the work in our members to bear fruit for death, but now we were raised from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. We've been separated from that. Not only have we died with Christ, but we have been separated from these rudiments of the world, these elementary spirits of the world. The legalist regulations oriented within the world of a lost humanity requesting their attempt to, to gain favor of God. Remember legalism? You're trying to gain favor with God. He says in chapter 2 verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to the human traditions, according to the elementary spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Paul 
makes the same argument in Galatians chapter 4, verse 3. In the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But now He's redeemed those that were under the law so that we receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. These elementary principles then, these spirits are powerless to provide redemption. They cannot supply a spiritual inheritance. Paul is asking, if you have died with Christ, why are you going back into stuff? It's worthless. Number three, we do not need to yield to this legalism. He says there, why? We are in the world, but we're no longer of the world. John 15 verse 19. Remember, verses 14 and 15 of this same chapter, talking about Christ, by canceling the record of the debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by trampling over them in Him. Then why are you going back into it? What's the purpose? If in Christ we share in His victory, we no longer count the world as our home. It's not our true home. That's right. Or the place that dictates who we are or how we're to live. We are no longer belong to the world. So how foolish to continue to submit to the rules of the world. To submit, to permit yourselves to be put under, to be dictated to. You know what legalism does? It puts you under that. Mm-hmm. Makes you walk by that. They're in danger of allowing themselves to be dictated to by false teachers. And we've talked about these. It could be a certain version of the Bible mm-hmm. to the point that you can't be saved apart from this Bible. Or pants, or movies, and I could make the list that I lived under for years. Melody could make this list that we lived under for years. Well, I'm trying to impress God. Hmm. If you don't do these, or you have these, you, you can't be spiritual. You know what that makes, right? It makes salvation by works. Yes. It makes sanctification by works. It makes fellowship with the Lord by works. So there was an ignorance in them. Secondly, there was examples in verse 20. If with Christ you've died to elementary spirits of the world, why are you still alive in the world? Do you submit to them? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Touch not, don't, don't handle it. To handle, to know carnally. Most of the commentators think he was talking about here sexual uh, abstinence. Both, of course, unmarried, but married as well. To prevent those that were ma- prevent those that were married for for in, enjoying that blessing of the Lord in First Corinthians seven, and to restrict those that weren't married that needed to be restricted, but they went over. 
Paul instructed, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul, you know, we wouldn't think, we wouldn't think 2,000 years ago people would ask such questions. And I've read stuff about Martin Luther, and that was one of the questions that was asked him. Um, how often is, is, is good? And he had to write a whole pamphlet on it about how, how much relationship is, is good. And, and Martin Luther had said, well, the Bible's silent, but this is what I think, but do with it what you want. But I do know what the Bible does say. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Now concerning the matters about which you've written, is it good for a man not to have sexual relationship with a woman? But because of temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each wife her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. Notice, it's rights. Not desires. It's rights. And likewise, the husband, the wife to her husband, for the, husband, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps for an agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourself to prayer, but then come together again. Why? So that tempt Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now as a concession, not a command, I say, I wish I, uh, that all of you were as I myself am. But each of you has his own gift from God, one of kindness and one of another. Paul's saying, listen, just don't touch. He's telling you, touch. You that are married, but he, they're requiring sexual abstinence from all. Paul warned Timothy, didn't he, in 1 Timothy chapter 4? 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul writes, Now, the Spirit expressly says in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. Doesn't this not sound like where we are? This is what's going on in Colossae. Through the insincerity of liars whose conscience are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to receive with thanksgiving that those who believe and know the truth. For everything that God created is good and nothing is to be rejected is to be received with thanksgiving. It may be holy by the word of God and by prayer. Paul's addressed this to Timothy. The marital privileges had to be forfeited under their rule to gain a sensitivity to spiritual marriage of believers and to Christ. Not only do not handle, but it says do, do not taste. Obviously we're thinking of food and drink, right? Abstinence of certain kinds of food or drink keep you from tasting anything. You've got to stay away from that. That even applied to the meat that was offered to idols. There was another issue in there, but Paul's saying there, listen, God made the meat and the idols nothing. If it doesn't violate your conscience, eat the meat. Be thankful for it. God made it. But theirs is, no, you can't have it. So you have to eat fish on Fridays. Right? Or do not touch, it says at the end. Again, most commentators don't actually think this is dealing with physical. He thinks it's about food, forbidding any type of touching of certain foods. And their illustration of that, and again, it's over all the commentaries that I had, so I'll go with it. 
Um, their, their, their backup to that was in Genesis 3, where Eve is told that she's not even to touch, right? Okay. But there's an ignorance there. There's a deception there. There's a, but most of all, there's a weakness here. Look at verses 22 and 23. Referring to things that all perish as they're used according to human precepts and to their teachings. Well, first problem in these weaknesses is that it permits, it prevents, permits the material to dominate the spiritual. How can such things have authority over a man if they're destroyed by using them? Right? God created sex, food, and drink, and the desire to have them. I praise God that not everything tastes like butter beans. If they did, my daughter and son would have starved to death a long time ago. I praise God for the variety that He gives. I praise God for all of the blessing that He gives. And to receive it, what did He say, Paul said, to receive it with thanksgiving. Thank the Lord. I'm glad there's going to be some dead turkeys next month. <laughs> some dead cows. And some pigs along the way. Bob's thankful for deer. All right. Sin, it's, not, it's not about the, the sex and the food and the drink or desire to have them. It's the sin occurs when they're abused. Uh-huh. Not the non-use. All of those are not to be permitted to control your life. We've dealt with, I have throughout my ministry, people that Sex controls them. It's destroying them. I had a guy up in Boone came to me and said, if my wife finds out, it's going to destroy it. I'm addicted. I don't don't know how to... Food. I think sometimes people that are addicted to food are a little more visible. You can tell. They like food. Okay. But some people have a metabolism, they can burn it up and they still like food. But still it can be are you an addict to it? Now don't talk about coffee. Can't talk about coffee. Okay. I, I only drink coffee two times a day. Just two, when I'm by myself or with somebody. But I do have to ask that question though. Is it controlling me? I've seen people that Pepsi Colas or Mountain Dews control them. Yeah, sugar, that sugar intake. And again, we're not talking about medical issues. You, it may be nothing wrong with it, but you have no business eating it because it's going to kill you. Right? It's about the control. It's controlled by proper use and the recognition of Christ's sovereignty over our lives. We must view this food as they're spiritually neutral. They're not satanic. Okay? You may not like coffee, but it's not satanic. Right? But secondly, asceticism, this self-discipline 
avoidance. Look over where he says in verse 23, they indeed have an appearance of freedom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism. Asceticism, self-discipline. It's an avoidance. It originates with man. It's an avoidance of precepts and teachings of things written and things spoken. I'm not sure how popular it is now, but when I was in college, even before, there was a big push by the Institute of Basic Life Teachings. I mean, they had seminars all over the country. Thousands of people would come to hear the lectures for a week long. And again, not everything was bad. That's not the point. They came to Greenville. I was a student, and some of the ministerial students said, well, we're going to go, so we went. And I heard this with my own ears. Gave the illustration of a young lady who was in a church. Her parents weren't there, but she was 19, 20 years old. And she felt the Lord's call upon her life into ministry. She wanted to be a a missionary's wife or a pastor's wife. guy that was over the basic life thing, one of his students, teachers, they said, well, you need to ask your, your parents about that. And her dad was against her going into ministry because she, he was not a believer. He was a lost person. And the instruction to her was, then you don't go because you must obey your parents. I'm sitting there thinking, a lost father has more authority than the sovereign of the world. Huh. See, under the guise of we're going to be spiritual about this thing, we take things and we take them too far. Yes, we are to honor our parents. But in your adult years, your parents don't have more authority over you than God does. God has it. And thirdly, quickly, asceticism is just hypocritical. Look back, look back at our text. It has an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. It appears wise. It appears spiritual. They appear to be rational and logical. I've listened to people defend the 1611 Bible. And if you like the 1611 Bible, that's great, wonderful. Glad you do. But to claim that it is God's Word for English-speaking people is to make a big assumption. Even to the point that you can't be saved except out of a 1611 Bible. I don't know what that says about Paul. Or Jesus? Yes, that would be a better question. But it sounds, you listen to it, it sounds rational. You know, God's blessed it. He has. He has blessed. He's blessed His Word. Yes. As it's gone out in power. It sounds rational. It sounds logical. But to end up that this is the only Bible... 1611 was not actually the first Bible written in English. That's 
right? Along with what we do with the other one. It operates, this operation, this hypocritical act operates in three aspects in self-imposed worship. Notice he says, self-made religion says them severity of body, but they have no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. Self-imposed worship, human will. In the aspect of humility or modesty, or the severity to the body, the harsh treatment to punish the Bible, uh, the body, to neglect the body. With severity. To deny it sleep. See, God's more glorified and more honored in your life if you don't get any sleep. Well, I must be the king of the mountain then. And Alan's not far behind me, right? It's not. Who designed sleep, by the way? God did. By the way, I think it's about one-third of your life you spend sleeping. What does that say about God? He's capable of running this world with you asleep. One-third of your life. Okay. But yeah, it's denial of sleep. It's, it's self-imposed beatings. There are, I tried to look it up in the country that they are where they whip themselves with cat of nine tails and destroy their backs because it's God's going to be most pleased in these beatings. Horrible. Fasting. Again, nothing wrong with fasting, but it can be for the wrong reasons. It can be to be seen of men. Remember Jesus talked about that? It's going to be fasting. Make sure you wash your face and clean yourself up and look like somebody. Don't come out looking like you've been beat to death. And see how spiritual I am. I, I haven't eaten. You got your reward, he says. But number four, finishing the text, it has no value of stopping the indulgence of the flesh. It has no power to overcome the power of your sinful nature. No value. No honor. No price. No worth. Legalism has no value in fulfillment of victory over your flesh. You can do those things and walk that line and wear the pants and read the King James Bible and be attentive and be lost without Christ. If you're thinking God's impressed with those, He's not. You're a sinner. He needs to be saved by grace. Cynicism does not due to honor to the body, but only promotes the indulgences of the flesh. I, my niece, I said it was my nephew, my niece who had a, just caught up in anorexia. It was hard to watch. Her hair turned to straw. Monthly stuff was all messed up. Ended up in counseling with Martha Peace. And my sister asked Alyssa one time, why? And she said, it's the one thing I feel like I can control. It's a control issue. Couldn't find out that mom and dad in the house weren't what they were supposed to be. And she couldn't control mom and dad. She couldn't control the outside, but she could control this. She could make herself look like what she felt like she was supposed to look like. But she found out the starving of the flesh was actually feeding her flesh. It was giving her the power that she wanted. 
It says an enemy to the spirit being controlled by this life. These regulations lack any value of restraining sinful indulgences. The care of the sins of the flesh are, 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 are not more regulations. They're not more severity to the body, but they are in submission to the Holy Spirit as He ministers the Word of God to our minds and to our hearts. It is a life of surrender. Not a conformity to a list of laws. False teachers were disrupting this church or destroying it. Taking their minds and their hearts to the direction of the church off of Christ and onto a list of do's and don'ts. But I remind you of something. What's at stake here? The gospel. The gospel is what is at stake. The gospel gets destroyed. Because I can get to it another way. I can get to it without Christ. I can do these legalism. I can do asceticism. I can do mysticism. I can do all of these things and God will be impressed with me. I don't need to go to the way of the cross. Paul's reminded them true freedom is only found in Christ. True forgiveness is only found in Christ. For it's in Christ alone. Just listen. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See, it's that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit or according to human traditions, according to the elementary spirits of the world, not according to Christ. For in Him, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with Him in a baptism in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful workings of God who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in trespasses In the uncircumcision of the flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How many? How many? All of them. How did He do that? By canceling the debt record of the debt that stood against you with its legal demands. And the legal demands were what? Death. He died for you. How did He do that? He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put to open shame the triumphing over them in Him. Then why are you going back in this stuff? It has no value. It cannot suppress the it cannot stop the indulgences of the flesh. I guess the question we pose to us, are you in Christ? That's what he asked. If with Christ, you've died to the elementary spirits of the world. Have you? 
There have been a time in your life that you've come before the Lord, forgiveness of your sins, received His free gift of salvation in Christ and in Christ alone. If you've done that, then don't go back. And i got a feeling there's some in any size church in this part of the country, there are some that you still think you're earning it. Keeping some rules and regulations because you think God's more pleased. But you don't know Him. If you died today, you'd go to a hell made for the devil and his angels. Stop trying to earn it. Can't. It's a gift. And all who call upon the name of the Lord, what? Will be saved. I had one person ask me one time, Pastor Eric, if I call on him, what will he do? He'll save you. How do you know that? Because that's what he said. You call on him, he'll save you. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. And Father, we rejoice that it's not Christ plus something or something minus Christ. It's in Christ and in Christ alone. He is our hope of glory. He, he is the one that we died with Him on Calvary. We are buried with Him. We are raised with Him. And through the ministry of the Spirit, He now lives in us. And when we sit down with this glorious book, we sit down with the author. who teaches us all things. You've given us all things we need for life and godliness. Father, I pray for one or the many that are still being held captive by legalism. Father, they may know you, may have been a time, but Father, their life since then has been just, just, just shackled. Lord, would you set them free? Those that are seeking mysticism, that your word's not enough? You want to hear more? opens us to up all types of false teaching. Father, help us to be satisfied with the book that you've given us. Help us to read it and to study it, to be students of your words, to be doers of it, not just hearers. Father, we pray that you continue to mold our church that it looks less like ourselves and looks more like our Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.